this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. Today we're kicking off a new series titled Family Dinner. Uh, I don't know about you, but it's a little bit hard to believe that it's already November. Like we had Halloween this past week. Uh, last night was daylight savings, which means it's going to get dark in a hurry this evening. Uh, and then what, what do we have coming up next? We got Veterans Day coming up on Saturday. Uh, apparently that's going to be observed on Monday, I have learned for those of you who may have the day off. But then we kind of get to the big holiday event of November, which everybody, what is it? Thanksgiving. Come on, Thanksgiving is that time that we, we have freedom to overeat and not be judged. Isn't it so good? Thanksgiving. Uh, a lot of times Thanksgiving for families is a time to, to come together. There's a moment of unity and community and fellowship that takes place, and it normally centers around the family dinner table. And if you guys think about like that traditional Thanksgiving meal, like what are those things that you think about? You got like your... Your roasted turkey, I guess. Oh, there, there's the stuffing, yes, and the dressing. That's so delicious. Uh, there's uh, lasagna. Is that what somebody said? I don't know what family you're from. Uh, there's mashed potatoes, and then that stuff that goes on top of it, um, gravy. Uh, yeah, and then you have your corn because, you know, we got to remember the pilgrims. Uh, and, and then there's the, the green bean... Um, Casserole. Somebody always brings that thing, you know, for better or worse. Uh, depends on how they cook that thing. So you got your green bean casserole. Oh, and then there's the, the sweet potato dish. Um, yeah, yeah. Some of you, there, I got different responses from a lot of people. Like, like, what are the yams? I think we call them yams only at this time of year. Yams. Uh, but they have like the marshmallows, right, that you put in there and it gets caramelized and it's all delicious and candy-like. I don't know how cranberry sauce made the list. Anybody cranberry sauce fans? Oh, wow. Okay. I got a definite thumbs up from somebody like, I'll raise my hand, but in the other direction. Thank you very much. Uh, my grandma uh, likes cranberry sauce, but that doesn't mean a whole lot. She's like 104, so I think she's just lost her taste buds. Um, yeah, yeah. So cranberry sauce, some of you are like, I like cranberry sauce. I'm sorry. I don't know what's up with you. Um, if you're like my wife, your favorite part of Thanksgiving isn't any of that stuff. What you look forward to are the pies. Mm-hmm. My wife likes the pumpkin pie. She likes the pecan pie. She likes that cherry pie. She'll even take the apple pie. She don't care. She just likes the pies. How many pie lovers do we have? In the oh, there's some definite immediate hands up. Thanksgiving. Like, we love that traditional Thanksgiving meal. And if you think about it, you know, you come together as a family around the table a lot of times, and you have that meal. Now, for me, some of you may or may not know this about me, but I don't celebrate traditional Thanksgiving meals. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to let you in. This is personal information. Some of you know this. Some of you don't. You're going to get to know me a little bit better. But when I was five years old, I grew into a new food allergy. And since the age of five, I have not been able to eat poultry, which means I have no turkey and no chicken in my diet. And my wife's like, oh, it's so sad. That's right, because she's living on a pork and beef diet in our home because we don't even let it in the house. Some of you are like, well, how bad is it? Can you just eat it and get an upset tummy? No, I wish. I wish I could just get the upset tummy. I have that whole anaphylactic response thing, you know, where your throat swells up and you're about to die, and so the doctors give you pins that are EpiPens. Anybody know about these? And you're supposed to stab them in your leg, and it opens up your uh, 
breathing passageway enough time for you to get to the hospital. And if it's not, that's why they give you two. You can stab yourself a second time so you can get to the doctor. Yeah, that's, that's the world I live in. That's the cross I bear, y'all. I don't go to Chick-fil-A. I ain't got no KFC in my diet. Strouds, what is that event about? I just can't do it. And you can't trust a hot dog anywhere. Let me just say that is some mixed meats, all right? So people ain't spending the money for the beef hot dogs very often. So for me, like Thanksgiving uh, doesn't have the traditional Turkey. And if you don't have the traditional turkey, you don't get the traditional stuffing because the stuffing's got the broths in it and the stuff that is in the bird and the bird. I don't want to die on Thanksgiving. I feel like it would be a downer for the family. But my favorite, my favorite ever Thanksgiving meal, I think took place my senior year of high school. And so my family, uh, my mom specifically, my mom likes breakfast. I like breakfast. And we found out that Waffle House was going to be open. And so we decided for Thanksgiving meal, we were going to go to Waffle House, and you wouldn't believe what they had. They had all you can eat. It was like a buffet in the Waffle House on that Thanksgiving. You paid one price, you pulled up, you made friends with the chef, and if you call him a chef, the cook, and, and you began to eat some food. So we got there, we slept in, we showed up about 10.30, so I was like, hey, let's get started with that waffle. Oh, that's so good. Let's go ahead and get me some, some sausage with that. Uh, how, about, how about a couple uh, eggs over medium, like some, some fried eggs, and, and give me some bacon with that. Oh, and let's do those hash browns. Oh, you have breakfast potatoes too? Let's do that as well. When I was in high school, I was a runner, and my metabolism was through the roof. So I ate for about an hour. And I realized that if you turn the menu over, there's a lunch menu. We were there, my friends, through breakfast and lunch. I was having BLTs. I was having burgers. I, was ha I had everything you could eat. Like, they lost money on me on that day. And, oh, to be young again. Wouldn't it be nice for that metabolism just to be kicking along and eat whatever you want? Uh, it's like that comedian I saw recently, Nate Bargatze. He was talking about how, oh, how he loves pancakes. He says, but they make me so tired. <laughs> when you get old, isn't that the case, you know? And, and, and you never blame them, you know? He says that he told his wife, I think we need new pillows. <laughs> I, th I think I'm not, I need better sleep. And she said, you don't think it has anything to do with that loaf of bread you ate in syrup? <laughs> Couldn't be that. Couldn't be that. Well, as we kick things off, here's what we're doing in this series is that we're going to be talking about food. And, and what's interesting is that food is found all throughout the Bible, but oftentimes we don't pay any attention to it. We're not looking for food items or food-related passages in the Bible. We're just kind of looking for other things. But this past summer, I uh, had a rental vehicle. They gave me one of those Chrysler Pacificas. I never paid attention to a Chrysler Pacifica ever in my life. But now that I was driving one, I noticed that they are literally everywhere. I couldn't go anywhere without losing my vehicle in a parking lot because there's so many other Chrysler Pacificas. And I found out that it's the number one rental vehicle. But until I had one, I never noticed them. They were still there all the time. And I think the same thing's true when we approach the Bible with this idea of food. All of a sudden, we're going to see, man, there's a lot of food-related passages in the Bible. So if we start from the beginning in Genesis, it's right out of the gate. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, it says this, is that God said, that I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, this will be for food. They will be yours for food. I think God wanted us to live as vegetarians. 
at least out of the gate. He gave us the seed-bearing plants and the fruit. So it's a vegetable and fruit diet here. Um, when we fast forward like just a couple chapters, we find that like Adam and Eve, they're able to eat off of any tree except one tree, right? And it was actually the act of eating a specific food that caused there to be a fall of humanity. Now, we don't actually know what that fruit was. We always picture it as an apple. Uh, but, but it could have been, I don't know, they could have peeled a banana. It could have been any fruit of the tree. We don't exactly know what it was. But we have this idea of food right from the get-go in Genesis. And then if we fast forward all the way to the end of the Bible in Revelation 19, we read about the marriage supper of the lamb. We're going to have supper together if we're Christ believers. Like, how cool is that? We're going to get some grub in heaven. It's going to be good. So from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end and everywhere in between, we have all of these references to food. When God led the Israelites out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses, he was going to lead them to the promised land, which was a land flowing with, look, there's some more food. Like we have it all throughout the Bible. Uh, God also commanded the Israelites, this Jewish nation, to remember him and what he did by celebrating through feasts. So they would actually have specific food that they would cook in order to remember what God did. Sometimes they would sacrifice a lamb and they would eat it together. Or they would have a certain type of bread that had no yeast in it. It was this unleavened bread. And every year they would remember what God had done by eating this meal. You get to the prophets, you got like Daniel who was taken captive. And he had some buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were really smart guys. God was going to use them uh, in some cool ways. But, but the nation that had taken them captive, hello, uh, had said this. They said, we want you to learn how to be leaders of your people that we've enslaved. We're going to help them turn their hearts to us. And so they began to give them all of the food that the king had. But they, out of conscience, because of their diet, said, let us not eat the king's food. Let us eat a vegetable only diet. And so we see that there's all of these food references all throughout the Bible. And then I'm like, what about Jesus? I don't know about you, but I think Jesus enjoyed good food. Every time we see Jesus in the Bible, he's either leaving a feast, leaving a banquet, at a wedding party, or in some rich guy's house having a banquet. In fact, he was so often going to these things that the Pharisees began to say, you're just a glutton. You're just a drunkard. He got the reputation of being an overeater and a drunk because he was so frequently eating good food. But I think unlike, um, unlike some of us, when Jesus uh, shifted from eating good food and he had to prepare food, his menu was very small. This is what we find. There's a couple occasions in which Jesus had to provide the meal for some people. And you know it was on the meal every time that Jesus cooked? Fish and bread, that's it. That's all you get. I mean, there ain't going to be nothing special. It's just fish and bread. Now, he's good at mass producing it. He fed 5,000 dudes once. Like, he was like, I got some fish, I got some bread. Like, Holy Spirit rained down. Here we go. So, like, he did that. He fed, he had 4,000 people on another occasion, but he didn't have a lot of variety. There was no, you know, cranberry sauce. There was no uh, yams, even though some of you are like, ah, ah. Jesus uh, was a guy who, who felt comfortable with the high and mighty of the wealthy. He didn't mind eating their food, but when he cooked, it was just simple. Now, his food definitely was nutritious. we got to give him that, right? Fish and, and bread, it, it definitely hit the spot. But Jesus also, like when he began to teach and began to teach people about what heaven would be like and how the kingdom of God works, he would use food as imagery to communicate those things. So sometimes he would talk about how faith is like a 
mustard seed, right? Um, other times you would talk about how faith is like yeast, and, and, and a little bit of yeast can affect the whole of, of the flour and the dough. It can, a little bit goes a long way, and he says the same thing about faith, that a little bit of faith can go a long way in affecting your entire being. And so we see all of these references of food all throughout the Bible. We find like John the Baptist eating locusts and honey. Like, that's a weird diet, but that's what he was doing. Um, Satan tempted Jesus in the desert to turn the stones into bread. Um, Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. Um, We just see time and time again that the Bible is full of all of these food-related passages. So what we're doing this month is we're just going to kind of pick a couple of these out, and we're going to kind of dive deep on them. And so we're going to say, all right, what can we learn from these food-related passages as this is the month for us to celebrate Thanksgiving. We think about that meal. We think about that time together. So today, what I want us to focus on are just six words that Jesus said, and they include a food reference. In Matthew chapter 6, we read that Jesus was teaching his disciples about prayer, about how to pray. And what he did is he offered them a model prayer. He said, like, here is how you can pray. Now, a lot of people have taken this model prayer that has lots of ways that we can actually learn from it, and they just said, oh, that's what we're supposed to pray. No, he said, you're supposed to pray like this, not just supposed to pray this, but for most of us, if you grew up in church, you memorized what's considered the Lord's Prayer. And it's said quite often, and so we're going to look at it this morning in the King James Version, because that's how most people memorized it. And so uh, we we can uh, read this together. We'll put it up here, Matthew. Chapter 6, verse 9 through 13, it says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye. All right. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, did you notice the food-related passage in there? Okay, verse 11. We'll just put that one verse up. We'll put it in the NIV, just six words. Give us today our daily bread. If you were in the foundations class this morning at 845, which I encourage everybody to attend if you want to go deeper in your faith and kind of build a stronger foundation, uh, this is going to be kind of the one-two punch because you guys talked about this idea of daily dependence upon God. So, so we're going to break this down a little bit. In the Bible, when bread is talked about, it's a general term to speak about the necessities of life. So bread equals basic necessities of life. And in this six-word prayer... We are asking for daily bread. In other words, we're asking God to give us all that we need to sustain a life that is committed to honoring him and doing his will. Give us today our daily bread. When Jesus spoke these words, his disciples and those that were listening to him would have thought about their ancestors. Because he's speaking to a Jewish audience, he's speaking to a Hebrew nation, And they had these feasts that they did to remember what God had done for them when, remember, Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. And so their ancestors every morning would kind of crawl out of their tents and they would go pick up this food source that God provided for them that was called manna. Uh, Manna was the chief food source for these Israelites after they left Egypt until they were to enter into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. They went through a wilderness, there's no food, but in that time of 
need, God provided for their needs. And so we read this in Exodus chapter 16, verse 15. It says that when the Israelites saw it, they saw the manna, they said to each other, hey, what is this? <laughs> like, what, what is it? That's, that's what we want to know. Like, what is manna exactly? Um, they asked us, for they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer, which is a unit of measurement. It's about two quarts for each person that you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told, and some gathered much and some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. And then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. The idea here is that we're going to go out every day and we're going to depend on God to give us what we need today. Don't go out and collect a whole bunch and then just store it so you can be lazy tomorrow and think that you have enough to sustain yourself. No, your sustenance comes from the Lord each day. Now, do you think that the Israelites listen to Moses? No, he wants to go out every morning. I just want to have a little reserve. I want to have a little savings. I want to have a little to keep back. Verse 20 says, however, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. He had a sensitive nose. It stinks in here. So each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. So, so when Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, give us today our daily bread, they would have thought back to, yeah, that's kind of what happened with our ancestors. God provided daily what they needed to sustain them. They couldn't hang on to it. They couldn't store up for themselves. They had to every day depend upon God. What's really neat about this whole story is that every day when the Israelites got up, there was always manna for them to pick up. Not once did God be like, oops, I forgot to set the manna out for them. No, they could depend on God's faithfulness to do what he said he would do. God sustained them every day. And I think the same thing is true for us. Just as they were given bread from heaven, God can take care of us. Now, this group that we were reading about in the, the wilderness, God, again, is leading them to the promised land. There's going to become a time that this manna-eating group is no longer going to eat manna. They're going to be able to provide for themselves. In fact, it's going to be such a wonderful land that they live in. They're going to have so much bread that people in need are going to begin to come to them, and they're going to begin to provide for others. But before they get into this season of abundance, before they get into this time of excess, God wants to teach them something. He wants to teach them that you need to depend on me, whether you have little or you have much. Every day you need to still come to me as your source, whether I provide it for you miraculously or whether I provide a system that's going to provide it for you, I'm still the sustainer of who you are. And so I think what he wanted them to learn, and I think something that we need to learn, is that God is our provider. He is the one who provides. And this is really hard for us in America. It's like, no, I worked a job, and I got a paycheck, and I'm taking care of myself. Thank you very much. But hang on. If God wasn't involved in this, you couldn't do that. Like, if God didn't give you the breath of life, guess what? You ain't doing nothing. 
If God didn't grant you health, you ain't doing nothing. Like we take it all for granted and we think we're a big deal. I don't need God. I got this. Okay, good luck. He created the world and everything in it. That includes you. Uh, well, I don't want to think about that. Okay, you can live in ignorance or you can understand that everything is the Lord's. And we are simply managers of his stuff. And one day we're going to stand before him. He's going to say, hey, what'd you do with all the stuff that I entrusted to you? And we're going to have to give an account of how we stewarded the money he allowed us to have, the food he allowed us to have, the home, the car, the children that we had. We get to give an account of all of that. It's not ours. It's his. We're just managers. God is our provider. And when he teaches this model prayer, give us today our daily bread, if we are to pray that, we're actually declaring, yeah, God, you're our provider. We're coming to you and asking you to give because we're not trying to give to ourselves. We're not trying to make it happen on our own. No, no, God, you're our provider. Give us today our daily bread. We're looking to you as our provider. And if we're coming to God and praying this prayer, I think the number one thing that this six-word prayer teaches us is, number one, to depend on God. This is what we all need to do. And this is so hard for us because we want to be independent. We want to be able to do it on our own. We want to be able to pat ourselves on the back. But God's like, that's not how I created you to function. You still need God. No matter what blessings you've had, no matter how he's blessed, you still need God. Whether you have much or you have, you still need God. And when we begin to pray, give us today our daily bread, we are saying, God, I need you. I'm declaring my dependence on you. I can't do it on my own. And we get in trouble when we try to do it on our own. Now, some of you might be like, well, you know, if I'm just going to come to God and say, give us today our daily bread, it sounds like a little demanding. Like, I'm just like, hey, I'll tell you what's up, God. Give me. Like, I, I get that. I get that. But I want us to notice that, that what we're asking for, well, well, first, we're asking from our father. Let's think about the relationship. When my kid's really in need and he needs something, I'm never bothered by his request, right? Like, he really has a need. I'm, I'm ready to serve. We have a heavenly father who cares about us. But, but also notice what we're asking for. We're asking for bread. We're not asking for filet mignon. We're, the prayer Jesus is modeling for us here is, is not that God is going to give us all that we want, He's going to give us all that we need. And sometimes we find ourselves, at least I do, asking God for my greeds more than my needs. Do you remember how God was giving the Israelites manna to eat every day? And in Numbers 11, it tells the story of how they began to complain about the manna. They began to complain about God's provision, what he was doing to care for them. God gave them manna, but they were not satisfied with what God had given them. They, they wanted more. Thanks, God, for that, but we, we would like a little variety in our diet. Thank you very much. And so Numbers chapter 11, verse 4 says this. Now the rabble, which is kind of a fun word, uh, you know, it's kind of like this discontented mob who was with them. They had a strong craving. Anybody had a strong craving before? Yeah. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. Thanks for the manna, but we would really like some meat to eat. Instead of being thankful for what they had, they got angry and frustrated because of what they didn't have. 
And I think there's a great difference between this, this rabble group and the redeemed. See, the rabble tend to blame God for everything and thank him for nothing. But if you're truly redeemed, you thank God for everything and blame him for nothing because he's a good, good father. To you to you So this rabble, this discontented group, they stirred up the others and their complaints spread throughout the whole camp. And the people of Israel began to weep and complain, oh, if we could just eat some meat. I mean, God gave us bread, that's great, but we want some meat. So the verse, the story continues in verse 6. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. They're just getting disgusted. Ah, God's just giving us this again. He's giving them what they need to be sustained, but for them, the bread was not enough. They wanted more. And I want you to notice what happens next because I think some of us find ourselves in the same place. God has been good to you. God has provided for you. God has blessed you. But the blessings become old, and you're like, I would like some new blessings. I would like some different blessings. Hey, God, how about you give me some meat to eat instead of just providing my needs? Well, what happened with this group when they had that attitude? Well, Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans and everyone at the door of his tent, like they are like complaining hardcore, like, ah, let's go cry in front of Moses' tent. Maybe he'll talk to God and get us something. And notice, uh-oh, and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly. I don't know about you, but I don't want God getting hot towards me. No thanks. God is providing for them. He's giving them what they need. They got bread, but they want more, and their complaining provokes the anger of God. Can I encourage you today? Don't despise the manna. Don't become ungrateful for what God's doing in your life because you want more. He's providing what you need. Well, let's look at the rest of the story. God gave these dissatisfied people what they asked for. You say, what? It worked? They complained? They got their meat? Yeah, they got their meat they crave. but let's look at the story. Verse 31, now the Lord sent a wind that brought quail from the sea and let them fall all around the camp. This is crazy. Oh, God, finally, thank you. For miles in every direction, there were quail flying about three feet above the ground. Now, I don't like birds. This would be like a nightmare to me. I would be like in my tent, sealed up. They're coming. <laughs> They're flying waist high. I mean, I would be like, get your kids, get your wife, hide them. Like, this is not good. But it was the perfect height for these people to catch the birds so that they could eat them. But don't miss this part of the story. You're like, oh, I see. God will give you what you want if you just complain long enough. No, wait. Don't jump to wrong conclusions. Verse 33 says, but, but while they were still gorging themselves on the meat. You guys ever gone to like M. Chama's or Fogo de Chao and gorge yourself on some meat and got those meat sweats? <laughs> I've been there. They're doing that. Uh, except I couldn't participate because I bet you I'm allergic to this poultry. Hmm. Okay. But they were not allergic to birds. While they were gorging themselves on the meat, while it was still in their mouths, the anger of the Lord blazed against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. The meat God's people craved is the very thing that made them sick. The meat that they so wanted 
which was beyond what God wanted to provide, brought a plague upon them. We don't know exactly how this worked. It's like the idea here is like before they had consumed all of the birds, that some disease, some virus, some plague spread in the camp, and it seemed to have come from the flock of birds. We got like the first like bird flu going on here. And, and there was a reason why God gave them manna. Like, God's not being cruel. He's not trying to withhold things. Like, there's a reason that he was giving them manna. And, and maybe he was giving them this bread and not meat because they're in a wilderness and there's no refrigeration. And when you have meat without refrigeration, it gets to be not good. So I believe that God knows what's best. But, but here's the story, the end of the story, the, the thing I'm trying to get us to understand. If they had simply been grateful for what God had provided rather than complaining about what they didn't have, they would have been saved from great disaster. Their life would have been better had they not got the meat. And so I think for us, we need to never despise what God gives us. He is a good heavenly father. Every gift he gives is good. And we need to be thankful every day for what he has provided, especially when it seems to be less than what you want. We need to thank God for the manna. We need to thank him for what we have. We need to thank him for what he has given. So what does this six-word prayer teach us? Well, number one, we need to depend on God. I need you, God. Number two, I need to be grateful. God, thank you. Thank you. You're better to me than I deserve. But number three, I think this six-word prayer teaches us, give us today our daily bread to trust his faithfulness. Just as he provided that manna every day, God will be faithful to take care of you. He loves you. He cares about you. And he will supply our every need for today. Remember, they weren't allowed to store up extra. Rather, they had to depend on God day after day. Every morning there was manna. And in the same way, when we live by faith and trust that God will be faithful he will always take care of us. Living on daily bread means that we trust God to provide what we need on a day-to-day basis. But if we're honest, we don't want to live the way that Jesus is talking about here. I don't like this. We don't want to live day-to-day. We'd rather have pension plans and stocks and bonds and options. We'd rather have life insurance policies that guarantee us a secure future. If we had our way, we would pray, you know, instead of giving us today our daily bread, how about you give us this week our weekly bread? Oh, get, oh, better. Give us this month our month. God, I got an idea. How about you give us this year our yearly bread? Yeah, yeah I, feel, I feel more comfortable. There's a little bit extra here. But God doesn't want you to trust his blessing. He wants you to trust him. And if he gave it to you all at once, you'd take your eyes off of him and look at what you have. He wants you to stay focused on him. What is God calling us to? How about a moment-by-moment dependence? Ah, that's hard. That's hard. I know. And so some of you are like, well, fine. I'm not going to plan ahead. I've been trying to tell my wife we don't need to plan ahead. We don't need that savings account. We can go buy that car. No, wait a second. Wait a second. Should you plan ahead? Yes, the Bible says that that's wise. But here's, we should plan ahead, but we shouldn't worry ahead. And that's where I get guilty. I plan ahead, but now I'm worrying ahead. Is there going to be enough? Am I going to be okay? Are we going to have a problem? 
And I began to find my security in what I've been able to save or keep or have on reserve more so than keeping my trust and faith in him. Should we plant? Yes. But my confidence isn't in my planting. My confidence is in the Lord to still take care of me. Plan ahead, just don't worry ahead. And when we ask God for daily bread, we're asking him to take care of us day by day. We're asking him to teach us how to depend on him day by day. So what's this prayer teach us? To depend on God to be grateful for what he's done, to trust that he's going to continue to be good to us, his faithfulness, and number four, to remember that we're all in this together. I want you to notice that it doesn't say, give me today my daily bread. What does it say? Give us today our daily bread. As Christ's followers, we've been adopted into God's family. It's a family dinner. We're all eating from the same table. We're to be together. When we can learn to stop praying just for ourselves and pray for others, man, it opens our eyes to seeing other people the way that God does. But even stepping further than just praying for others by yourself is to begin to pray together with other people. See, this prayer is one that is supposed to be that we are together, and we together can say, Lord, give us, all of us together today, our daily bread. So as we close today, I will think it's unusual for us to say this, but we live in uncertain times. It's a pretty good word, uncertain. I don't have a lot of confidence in what tomorrow's going to hold. I don't know what I'm going to see on the news. I know there's a lot going on in our world right now. We live in uncertain times. Our American government can be really fickle. <laughs> I don't live in certainty. No, we live in uncertain times, but, but we need to be careful that we don't grow anxious in these days. We need to remember that God is faithful and we can depend on him. The anchor for my soul is not our government or the world or the peace that man can bring. The anchor for my soul is what God can do. And he's never failed. We serve a God who's never failed. And so my confidence and my trust is in him. And so as we close today, I want to invite you to pray a specific prayer. It's a prayer you've probably never prayed before. It's actually found in a verse found in Proverbs chapter 30. And we'll put it up here on the screen. I'm going to let you look at it. You're going to consider whether you want to pray this or not. But man, this is such a powerful prayer. What if we today, as we close, I'm going to challenge you to pray this, that God, would you keep falsehood and lies far from me? That's a good prayer. I think so easy we can begin to believe things that aren't true. God, would you keep falsehood and lies far from me? And, and we're going to be real good with the first part of this next line. Give me no poverty. But it says, not just that, give me neither poverty nor riches. I don't want to be poor, but God, I also don't want to be rich. Just give me only my daily bread the basic necessities for me to be sustained. You say, well, why? Why, why, would, why, would, why would that be a good prayer? Why, why, why don't we pray to be rich? I could do such good things if God would just let me win the lottery. I would give that money to the church, I promise you. <laughs> well, I want you to see what the next verse says because it explains it. It says, otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? 
Or I may become poor and be tempted to steal and so dishonor the name of the Lord. The prayer here is, Lord, don't make me too rich. Don't make me too poor. Oh, God, just give me whatever you think is enough, and I will be content with it. God, give me and us our daily bread. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. In church, a lot of times we say with every head bowed and every eye closed, but you can't pray this prayer with every eye closed and every head bowed. So with every head up and every eye open, we're going to break some prayer rules here. Would you pray this prayer with me? I don't want you to pray it if you don't mean it. But I want us to come to this place. And for some of you, it might be good for you to look this verse up and to have a little screenshot and maybe make it the wallpaper on your phone. And every day, you pray this prayer. God, keep me from falsehood and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Just give me my daily bread. Would you pray this with me? Dear God, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. God, we thank you that you are faithful and that you are our provider. And that, God, we can come to you boldly and we can ask for you to care for us. And God, that's what you want. You want that relationship. You want that face time in which we're coming and we're looking to you. And God, I pray that as we position our heart as we fix our eyes off of our circumstances and off of our power and our self-sufficiency and we look to you. God, I believe that you will transform our hearts, that you will change how we live, that you'll give us a peace that surpasses understanding. And God, that we would be your people in this broken and uncertain world that is able to walk with a confidence and to live securely in the future that you would have for us because we know, God, that you are for us and you're not against us. And so, Lord, I just pray that today that we would be challenged by your Holy Spirit to stop trying to control it on our own. May we stop worrying ahead. May we plan ahead with wisdom. But, Lord, may we just trust, God, that you will provide our daily bread. You will give us what we need to see through to tomorrow. And God, if we will follow you every step along the way, every day, if we'll just worry about today because tomorrow's got enough worries of its own, if we'll just do what we're supposed to do today, God, I believe that you will lead us to the final destination that you have for us. So Lord, may we just do the next right thing and may we look to you, the author of our salvation, the sustainer of our souls. God, we thank you for always being good to us and being so patient while we try to do things on our own. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.